All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we want to finish on some thoughts we started on the subject of pleasing the Holy Spirit. And we start in verse 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that is good, which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, what we did is we, we worked our way up to that particular verse. And we got through uh, these sins, in particular the ones found in verse 31. And we spent a fair amount of time on them uh, simply because these are sins in the context that seem to grieve the Holy Spirit, uh, more so than the others. And I'm not saying the other sins don't grieve the Lord, but these here uh, have to do with the relationship uh, as, as believers uh, among one another. And we know this by the context when we look at verse 32. And this is where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's pray. Lord, help us now in the moments before us that we might understand what you're saying to us. Father, there's, there's so much in this passage. And Lord, humanly speaking, it's impossible to, to get to the bottom of all of this without, without your help, without divine unction, without the Spirit of God bearing witness to your truth. So we ask that you do this. Even now, please help, uh, Lord, pray for those without Christ that they would know his forgiveness in a way they've never known forgiveness before, and we as believers might take these things to heart, knowing what great forgiveness we've received, that we might impart it to others in Christ's name, amen. So here we have the body ministering to itself in love. A wise older preacher who's since gone on to be with the Lord had a little saying, and I liked it. I tried to adopt it. He said, be narrow in your doctrine. Be narrow in your doctrine, but generous in your love. And we actually see this principle embodied in verse 15, if you want to back up just a few verses in the same chapter. He says, but speaking the truth, there's your doctrine, in love, speaking the truth in love, narrow in your doctrine, but generous in your love. So we pick up the narrative now in verse 32. And we're talking about pleasing the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the things we looked at in verse uh, 31 grieve the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to look at those things that, that please him. The first word he talks about here is to, to be kind one to another. Kind. Uh, there's dictionary definitions of kind all over the place, but when you boil it all to get down um, into one common denominator, it's considerate in our words and actions toward each other. Considerate in our words and actions toward each other. And, 
You know, as, as we get older, we realize how important kindness really is. Um, you know what I notice at every funeral service that I've ever attended, officiated, participated in, what have you? One of the, one of the things that is, it seems to be maybe one of, the, one of the best characteristics of somebody that can be said about them, in the end, it boils down to they were kind. Or sometimes people say they were nice. Or a nicer guy you'd never meet. Now I know a lot, of, a lot of times, you know, people say things at funerals under emotion. But, but I do know this. When you, when you look at people and you look at their lives, uh, some people, it just, it just stands out. It just stands out that they're kind. And uh, for a while there, we were using hospitality as a theme and of course, kindness is part of hospitality. Now, we still got the thankfulness and praise and giving thanks. And I say, well, how come we haven't changed that in a while? That's because I can't improve on it. Um, I know I need those constant reminders, especially in the day and age we live in. But uh, kindness. The Bible says in Psalm 103, for he knoweth our frame. This is speaking of God. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Our dust. You know what that is? That's a kind thought toward us by God. He looks at us and he says, they're dust. They're dust. Uh, I get why they do some of the things they do. They're dust. Uh, my father-in-law used to have a, a saying about somebody that, that was cranky. And maybe you didn't know the reason. He said, well, maybe, maybe his shoes don't fit right. You know, maybe it feels like he's walking on a pebble all day. Uh, we never know. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, to godliness we're to add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. And there's a lot there. We could park right there and spend a lot of time just talking about that one verse. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, speaking of charity, uh, charity suffereth long and is kind, is kind. Uh, charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. So one of the characteristics of charity is kindness. Uh, take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And here in Luke chapter 6, the Lord admonishes us to kindness and he gives what I call the ironclad argument for being kind to one another. And that is simply that he is kind to us. In fact, uh, he even takes it a step further here in this particular verse here. Luke chapter 6 and verse 35, the Bible says, but love your enemies but love your enemies. Someone once said, you should love your enemies. You're the one that made them. <laughs> but um, love your enemies. I remember one time I was going through my prayer list, and uh, I actually have a section. I don't have it titled enemies, but it's, it's all enemies. And uh, from time to time when I've been redoing my prayer list, there have been times I was tempted to, you know, just take them off. But this is a command but love your enemies and, and do good. In fact, the Bible tells us in other scriptures to what? Pray for them. Pray for them. Now, you got to be careful about that because sometimes you might just be praying against them. You know, like, Lord, get them. You know, that kind of thing. But we're to pray for them. We're to pray for them. But uh, he says in verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And he shall be the children of the highest. Now watch this last phrase. For he is kind. For he is kind. God is kind unto the unthankful. And wouldn't that be some of us sometimes? We have so much to be thankful for. But I, I know myself. I, I know myself. And I mentioned these reminders up here. Uh, I fall short in that area. I, I, I want to do better. Um, and to the what? evil to the evil he is kind unto the unthankful 
and to the evil. You say, wow, how so? Well, think of it. Uh, those that are evil, let's think of the most evil person in the world who may spend a lot of their conscious time hating and opposing God. Would you say that's, that's evil? Uh, on a conscious level, you're, you're against God? And, and to think that, that God, and he has the power to do it, folks. All he has to do is say, and, and he created the universe with his words, no muscle power involved or anything else, just his word, his word. And he could just say the word and, and the man would be done because the man is like us, he's dust. And yet God is kind, kind to allow him to live and even continue to blaspheme, kind to allow him another day, another opportunity to trust Christ. The Bible says the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And so think of it, God was kind to us even before we were saved. Uh, this, this song these young men uh, sang about Jesus passing by, even before he passed by, God fed us, he clothed us, kept us alive for another day when we were one heartbeat from an eternal hell. And so God uses his kindness as leverage to us to be kind to one another. Look at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, and we're, we're looking at God's kindness here. You know what? We may not like everything about every Christian that we meet, but we really have no right to be anything but kind toward them. And, and why is that? Is it because we like doing that all the time? It's because of God's treatment of us. Uh, Titus chapter 3, and look at verse 4. Titus 3, verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. And then look at verse 5. There's your plan of salvation. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're looking in on live stream, on whatever platform, and and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, and, and all this might be a little distant or sound a little, uh, a little filtered or strange to you, but you look at a world that is so unkind. Can I say to you this morning, if you'll trust Christ, if you'll get to know him, you'll understand kindness the way you've never understood kindness before. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Kindness is embodied in our very salvation as God showed kindness toward us. And so quite frankly, he expects us to be kind as well. Now we're all, most of us here uh, this morning are familiar with verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But notice the verse leading up to it, verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And how did he do that? Through Christ Jesus, how did he show us kindness through Christ Jesus? By simply, by the fact that Christ died on the cross for our sins. Was buried and rose again from the dead. That's the kindness that he showed toward us. Even before we believed that kindness was out there and available. It, it was out there and available in the broad sense that uh, it's there for all sinners to trust Christ. But again, specifically, think of it. How many of you here this morning lived recklessly enough before you were saved to realize there were, there were some times that, that you could have cut your own life short? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I, I think of some of them. My, 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 my. My, my dad had a, I uh, <laughs> wonder if he's watching this live stream. You know, as your kids get older, they start telling you stuff they did that you didn't know. 
when they were growing up. But when I was on drugs and alcohol and, and, and living all that business in, in my late teens, he had a he had a 60-something, I think it was about a 67 cutlass, that was a 442 without the badging. It had a 455 four barrel, and, and it had the uh, automatic on the console. And in those days, you, they, didn't, they didn't rig uh, with a computer chip the transmission so that you couldn't do a neutral drop. And man, I'd stick that thing in neutral and, and, and I'd peg that thing and then just slam it and drive and it had posi traction and whoa. <laughs> and you know what? There were times I went out in that thing and uh, there were no con- you know, open container laws in those days. Um, thank God for a bunch of mad moms bunch of mad moms that rose up and those laws are so much stricter but I don't even know what effect they would have had on me and driving around that way drunk and stoned and doing crazy things in the wee hours of the morning and I look back at that and it's only the mercy of God it's only the mercy of God that I didn't zig when I should have zagged and that would have been the end of it that would have been the end of it how many of us realize so often that God has been kind to us. And so, frankly, God expects us to be kind to one another. Kind, I would say this morning, to the evil. He's kind to the evil. He sets the example. A child was overheard praying one time, Dear God, make all the bad people good and make all the good people nice. That's some insight, folks. That's some insight. Coming from a child especially. Someone once said, oh God, when I am wrong, make me easy to change. And when I am right, make me easy to live with. Make me me easy to change, Lord, when I'm wrong. But when I'm right, make me easy to live with. When I think of that, I think of the word provocation or provoking in the scripture. Kindness provokes us to good works. Unkindness can provoke us to evil. You say, what is a provoking? It's putting someone in a corner where doing evil or good, depending on the provocation, becomes the easier thing to do under the circumstances. Now, that's never an excuse. Folks, if I get provoked to do evil and I do evil, guess whose sin it is? It's mine. God knows nothing of this psychobabble where you you don't take responsibility for your own actions. But we can provoke. We can provoke. Uh, When I wrestled in high school, we wrestled in an area it was, a, it was a downstairs basement track area. Um, and they called it the pit. And they called it the pit because it smelled like an armpit. Uh, people running down there and guys wrestling in the middle. They had mats in the middle circle there. And uh, the freshmen, sophomore, junior varsity, varsity were all wrestling there. And it, it was a sweaty area and they, and they called it the pit. But on that low ceiling was a big sign in the, in, over the wrestling mats that said, if you can read this, you are a fish. Okay? Now, in wrestling terms, that's not a compliment. But it meant you were laying on your back looking up, which would provoke you to get off your back. And so we think of that word provocation. Uh, the Bible says, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And uh, pretty self-explanatory what God is saying here. Uh, we're, we're told in the book of Hebrews to provoke to love and to good works. To love and to good works. You know, sometimes as families, we can take each other for granted and forget to show the basic kindness that we should show them and the kindness that they need. Husband, Your wife's need for kindness has not diminished since you got married. In fact, in many ways, it may have increased. 
Wives, believe it or not, your husband's need for kindness has not diminished since the day that you married and may well have increased. So for your children, children, for your parents. You know, most discussion about children and parents is, okay, kids, obey your parents and good enough. If you do that, it's all you need to do. Parents, you got all these concerns and providing for them physically and, 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 and spiritually and all these other ways. But you know what, kids? Be kind to your parents. They deserve it. They deserve it. You say, how so? I'll answer it this way. Grow up, raise a family, become a parent, and you'll understand. Has their need for kindness ceased? Young man that had fought in Vietnam called his parents. It's a true story. Called his parents. He was coming home. And he called his parents and he, he said, Dad, Mom, he said, I got a friend, a buddy in battle that uh, had his arms blown off and one of his legs blown off. And I was wondering if he could come and stay with us for a while. And it got silent for a moment. And then the parents said, no, son, we don't want anybody like that around here. And you know, and I could tell some of you know, the boy was him. That friend was him, and he took his own life. Kindness, kindness. You heard the story about the guy that died and went to heaven? And in heaven, they have testimony time every day. Haven't found that in the Bible, but... We'll keep looking. And this one man that had died and gone to heaven, he had survived the Johnstown flood. Now, the Johnstown flood was a big deal. If you've ever read anything about it, several thousand people died, and it was a catastrophe. And, and he kept telling Peter, of course, I want to give my testimony about surviving the Johnstown flood. And Peter kept putting him off and said, you'll get your chance. You'll get your chance. And finally the day came. And Peter said, you're going to get your chance. You're going, to, you're going to go ahead and give your testimony about surviving the Johnstown flood. And he was really excited. And he said, he said, when will I know it's my turn? He said, you'll be, you'll, you'll be up right after a guy named Noah. <laughs> and, and you know, isn't life kind of like that sometimes? And a lot of times we're dealing with people and they're going through things and we don't know what they're going through. And a lot of time that's how, how life is. Kind. Then he says tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. To be empathetic and compassionate. The Bible says Christ was moved uh, with compassion. Uh, sympathy, sympathy expresses, expresses sorrow for someone else's hurt, but um, empathy moves us to action. Compassion is a total involvement. And the opposite of it, being tenderhearted, of course, is, is hard-hearted when we can't be moved and we become cold. And the Bible says some people have, have become past feeling, past feeling. Uh, their consciences have become hardened and their hearts have become hardened and their past feeling. Um, I, I don't believe in tears for tears' sake. That, that could just be a sign of drama. But you know what? I, I wonder sometimes if, if some of our prayers for the lost aren't being answered because we can't weep for them. The Bible says in Psalm 126, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtly come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And so this tenderheartedness, uh, this compassion, this, this ability to be moved, this ability to let our hearts be broken for someone else. And I've, 
I've had to ask God to do it. Help me to be broken for someone because I felt that I was naturally hard-hearted toward the situation or the person themselves. It's, it's not something that we can conjure up. I think it's divined. I, I think it's given to us of the Lord. And, and who is more tender-hearted than the Lord Jesus Christ himself? And then notice what he says here. He says, to be kind one to another, tender-hearted. And then here's the next one, forgiving one another. But don't forget the, the qualifier, if you will, the, the postscript, the, the foundation, the ironclad, airtight reason that God gives us. We've already talked about it, and in so many of his commands, he throws this in there because he says, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, let me say this up front when it comes to forgiveness, because we do live in the current culture of what I call psychobabble. And, and a lot of it is, is rubbed off on Christianity. Um, forgiveness is a lot of things. But even the world has borrowed this term of unconditional love. And, and then what it, what, it, what it becomes and starts to mean is that you don't just forgive me, but you accept me and all I do, even if I continue to do wrong. And, and sometimes you'll be accused by the world in this respect. That's not what forgiveness is. We can, to use the old phrase, hate the sin and love the sinner. But it doesn't mean that we accept all that's being done, especially uh, when it's sinful. How about this one? Uh, you have to re-enter an abusive relationship if you have truly forgiven somebody. And the abuser sometimes will say, you, you know, oh, if you've really forgiven me, then you know. And let me give you an extreme example, a molestation. And I'm not sure everybody I'm talking to here this, this, this morning, uh, sometimes people have had this happen to them, and and they carry this with them for a long time, and nobody else knows. Uh, let me say to you, um, I, I would say, in the name of Christ, I would urge you to forgive them. And, I, and I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why. If you don't, they own you. And you will continue to relive that abuse the rest of your life long after they've probably forgotten about it. Think about it. But let me say this to you. You don't have to go back to that person. In fact, in many cases, you shouldn't. But in this age of psychobabble, things get uh, turned around. Uh, forgiveness doesn't always restore to privileges and position. Forgiveness doesn't always restore to privileges and position. I think of the prodigal son when he came back to his father. He understood this. First of all, I love what he said. He said, first of all, he didn't even apologize to dad first. He said, I have sinned against heaven. He understood, first of all, that sin is against God, first, primarily. But then he went on to say, he said, I am, and I am not worthy to be called thy son. Uh, to use the vernacular, he was asking no quarter. And he would have been happy, by his own words, to be as one of the hired servants. Now, Dad had other ideas, amen? amen? Praise the Lord. Dad had other ideas. But for his part, he, he understood that, and he would have just been happy to be forgiven. He would have been just happy to be somewhere on the campus, if you will. If it meant being in the servant's court. And by the way, that's often a good sign of real repentance. So forgiveness. That's a tough one. We struggle with it. We struggle with it. And God just puts it in simple terms. He says, if I can forgive you, you've got to forgive your brother. And here's what we rationalize. I really believe it's what we do. We 
we somehow rationalize that God didn't have to forgive as nearly as much in me as I'm being asked to forgive in this situation here that I refuse to forgive. There really isn't any other explanation when we won't forgive. And I think just being honest about what God was looking at when he forgave us and what he's been looking at ever since we were saved, amen? I mean, you could argue that our sin after salvation is more egregious because we know better. You could argue that our sin after salvation is more egregious because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. You can make the argument that our sin after salvation is more egregious because we have the Word of God. And yet He still forgives us. We're still His children after our, and I'll speak for myself, many offenses against Him since I've become a Christian. Take your Bibles and go to uh, Matthew chapter 12 and, and and God doesn't negotiate with this issue here. He's, he's real, real cut and dry. If you're looking for an out, I've tried it, and I can't find it. There's no loopholes here. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. He says, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Did I say right, Matthew 6? Well, I don't know what I said, but it's Matthew 6. <laughs> we won't try to sort it out, okay? I told you wrong. Matthew 6. Of course, most of you knew anyways. It went straight there. Matthew 6, verse 14. For if ye forgive, forgive men their trespasses, see that qualifier, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, don't misunderstand. I, I don't think that means we're going to lose our salvation, but we're going to lose our fellowship with the Lord. I mean, you're going to be a son either way, but I, I think it's, you know, if, if, if you want God's warm side and not his cold shoulder, you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. And again, like I said, I, I don't have a lot of explanations or rationale, shall we say, for why we don't forgive other than in light of what God said. I've forgiven you. You need to forgive others. And in light of that, we won't forgive. We have to be saying, we have to be saying to God, God, you didn't have to overlook very much in me, but I'm being asked to overlook a whole lot more. And folks, that is as ridiculous reasoning as we could possibly come up with. I mean, I've, I've got a lifetime of sinning against God that God knows about. And I'm unwilling to forgive somebody for generally, it's, it's usually one situation or, or one person or whatever. Um, take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. He says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Um, sometimes, uh, what, what I take that to mean is, you know, two people that have a hard time getting along, so you do the best you can with it, and then sometimes, you know, you're not going to be able to work together or whatever. But look what he says here in verse 19, because I think this is the crux of it here with unforgiveness. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. But rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And then God, God takes it all the way to the enemy. Takes it all the way to the enemy. Never mind the friend, the family member, the co-worker, the neighbor or whatever. But he takes it all the way to the enemy. That's, that's the ultimate test. And he says, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire. On his head, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Those coals of fire, uh, you could look at it two different ways, and, and I think both of them apply. Coals of fire would be conviction. Coals of fire, at the day of judgment, if they reject Christ, then that kindness counts against them in the day of judgment. But he says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Look at verse 19 again. There seems to be 
there seems to be this urge that we have sometimes. When you look at verse 19, avenge not yourselves, there seems to be this urge that we have to resist to punish someone else. All right, I'll forgive, but they're going to pay. Well, guess what? According to verse 19, that's not forgiveness. I'll forgive, but they're going to understand my hurt, and I'm going to repay them. And God says, if there's any vengeance to be meted out, it's, it's mine. It's mine. Remember, we talked about wrath in, in verse 31. And the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, because our wrath, we, we, can, be, we can be a one-man vigilante team. And I guarantee you, when we mete out wrath, it's done in, in, in ignorance I'm not going to say of all the facts. I'm going to say of most of the facts. But you know something? When God meets out wrath, it's done so after long periods of time of mercy. Do you ever notice how God delights to extend mercy? Man, he'll give people chance after chance because he's just looking for an excuse to extend mercy. But folks, when he cuts loose with his wrath, and you, you see it all over the book of Revelation where he's pouring his wrath out on the earth. And, and over and over again, angels are, are, are saying, true and righteous are thy judgments. And, and, and when God does it, it's, it's, it's right. When we do it, it's like I said, it's that vigilante mob with, without, without even a half of the facts. So we have to resist that urge to punish others. Paul says in Colossians 3, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. Now, that quarrel can be, legit, it can be a legitimate beef. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I, li I like what Brother Summerdorf said when he said, he said about taking offense, he said, do we have to take offense? You know, he was talking about when people get offended or what to do when you're offended. But he said the first thing we ought to consider is, do we really need to take offense? And that's a good question. Maybe, maybe what the best thing to do would be to just let it go. Isn't that an expression that's often used? Just let it go. Let it go. So these things in verse 31, they grieve the Holy Spirit, but these things in verse 32... They please the Holy Spirit. And so let's go back there. Romans chapter, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. And so he says, let all bitterness, verse 31, and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. There's the motive. And then that's what grieves the Holy Spirit. But here's what pleases him, verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. During the Revolutionary War, there was a pastor in Pennsylvania by the name of Peter Miller. There was a man who lived near the church who hated him and had earned what was called an unenviable reputation for his abuse of this minister. During the course of the Revolutionary War, the man turned out to be a traitor to his country, and he was convicted of treason and sentenced to death. The trial was conducted in Philadelphia. And no sooner had Miller heard of it than he set out on foot to visit General Washington and intercede for the man's life. Washington said, I'm sorry. I cannot help your friend. Miller said, friend? He said, that guy is the worst enemy that I have in this whole world. And that stopped Washington in his tracks. And he said, well, that puts it in a different light. He said, if you would walk 60 miles to save the life of an enemy, that in my judgment puts the matter in a different light. I will grant him a pardon for your sake. The pardon was made out and signed by General Washington. And Miller proceeded at once on foot to, to, to the place that was 15 miles distant 
where the execution was scheduled to take place that afternoon. He arrived just as the man was being carried to the scaffold. And when the man saw Miller hurrying toward the place, he remarked, there's old Peter Miller. He's walked all the way here to have his revenge gratified today by seeing me hung. But scarcely had he spoken those words when Miller pushed his way through the crowd to the condemned man and had it handed him the pardon that saved his life. And you know, folks, I, I think of that, and uh, that's, that's a pretty dramatic example, uh, I'll grant you. But you know, just in, in our prayer for someone we might have had a quarrel with, just in our prayer for, let's say that enemy is, is a lost person. Uh, folks, our prayer for them is no less dramatic than what that pastor did for that man going to the gallows. Because for a lost man, it's literally true. And then so much more than that. John Wesley had this rule of life. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. My son-in-law pointed out something one time and I thought it was pretty profound. We were talking about Matthew chapter 25. And if you look at the context, you read 24 and you read 25. And you have the, you have the judgment of nations after the tribulation period. And a lot of liberals have taken that section of scripture and, and made it the plan of salvation. It's not. It's not the plan of salvation. And, and Jesus says to the, says to the sheep, he said, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was, in, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. And uh, they are the favored ones at the judgment. They, they are the sheep. They are the sheep nations. And of course, all that relates to to their treatment of Israel during this most heinous time in the history of that nation for seven years. We call Daniel's 70th week, the last three and a half years, we've been studying it on Wednesday night, the great tribulation period. And, and they said, well, when's, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee and thirsty and gave thee to drink? And, 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 and Jesus said, what? In that ye have done it to what? The least of these, my brethren, literally, the Jews. And then he says to the, the, the goats on his left hand, the Bible says that, and he said, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me, and so forth. And he goes through the same thing, but, but they didn't. They didn't uh, give them the drink. They, they didn't feed them. They didn't visit them. They didn't give them clothing. And that group says the same thing. Well, well when did we see the hunger and, and not feed thee and so forth? And he said, in that she did it not to the least of these, my brethren, he did it not unto me. And we were talking about that, and, and Ben said to me, and I, and, I, and I think this is a profound thought, you know, a lot of times it isn't, it isn't the big things that God's looking at. It's the little things. I had somebody tell me recently, in, in the context of a situation, he said, it, it, there's times for us just to be good Christians. You know, when I think of it, I, I think of what we've just looked at here in Ephesians 4. That's just basic, foundational, just being a good Christian. Wouldn't matter if you're a dispensationalist or, or not. Wouldn't matter if you were a Baptist brighter or a Methodist. Wouldn't matter if you believed in Calvinism or you didn't. It's what every one of us is supposed to be doing. And when you think 
at the judgment of nations after the tribulation period when God lines everybody up, the nations and the individuals, the, the number one criteria at that particular judgment is going to be, how did you treat my people? Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty basic. But it, it's a good barometer of how we're doing with the Lord. And, and, and folks, let me say this to you this morning. What we've looked at in this, in this portion of Scripture in Ephesians 4, I don't believe we can do this without the Lord's help. I, I, don't, I know it's not naturally in me to be that guy. I've told you before, and I'll, I'll close with this, this thought. To me, the scariest, if I was lost, the scariest verses in the Bible to me would be Revelation chapter 20. Would you agree with that? You know, the lost, their names aren't in the, in the book of life, and they're cast into the lake of fire, and oh my goodness, for, forget horror movies. Nothing touches that. But as a believer, I'm not concerned about that. I, the penalty of my sin the eternal penalty of my sin has been taken care of by Jesus Christ. He went to judgment for me. But the three verses that scare me the most are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. When Paul says, I can have, I, I can have all knowledge, I understand all mysteries, I, I can speak with the tongue of men and angels, I could give my body to be burned, I could give away everything I have, I mean, it just goes on and on. In fact, when I get done reading it, I think to myself, other than Christ, they haven't made this guy. None of us even come close. But if we could be that guy, understand all mysteries, all knowledge, preach so eloquently that it would sound like not only the tongues of men but angels, and to be so sacrificial that I give away all my possessions, and so sacrificial and my love for the Lord is so great, that I give my body to be burned and I have not charity. Paul said, it profiteth me nothing. And when I think of that, I think of getting to the judgment seat of Christ and finding out that in the end, it wasn't so much what I did, but it was why I did it, where my heart was. Was it a work or an act of charity or not? And if it's not, I'm a zero with the ring kicked out. How important is it? It's that important. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and I would say with Paul this morning, who is sufficient for all these things? And I'd be the first to say, Lord, that Biggest room in my house when it comes to these matters is the room for improvement. Help us, Lord, to take these matters to heart. May it be said of us when the lost world looks at us, behold how they love one another. Lord, you said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. And Father, surely being kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another is a part of all of that. We ask for your help in these matters. For on the natural side of things, Father, we don't, we don't fall in on this. But by the Spirit of God living inside of us and Jesus Christ being our example, we know, Lord, that you never give a, a command without an enablement. So help us this day to be as that, that pastor was, that Peter Miller in Pennsylvania back during the time of the Revolutionary War that was literally willing to walk miles and miles and miles to gain a pardon for a man that had demonstrated over and over again that he hated him. Lord, what an example of what Christ did for us. Help us as we go forth from this place to carry that love not only in our hearts but in our words and in our actions. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 155. Number 155. I wouldn't tell you of everything what think of Jesus.
Take the sin. 